0: Welcome to New Mexico in Focus, the podcast edition for Monday, August 30th. I am your host, Kevin McDonald, an executive producer here at New Mexico PBS. And as always, we appreciate you taking us with you throughout your work week. We've got a good one for you here today. And we're going to kick things off with an interview we did for the show recently with the newest member of the New Mexico Roundhouse. She's our newest lawmaker. She is Kay Bunka, and uh, she was appointed by the Bernalillo County Commission to uh, take the rest of the term of Cheryl Williams Stapleton, who you've no doubt heard and read about, uh, resigned her seat recently amongst a scandal um, and uh, accusations that in her role with APS, Albuquerque Public School, she uh, funneled money uh, to her businesses uh, and personal accounts uh, from a contract there. That still has to play out in the courts. But Representative Cheryl William Stapleton did resign her seat. She was a fixture there in the roundhouse. But now it is K-Bunka, at least for the next year, until the next election, and so we wanted to get to know her a little bit better, find out what is on the top of her list to do in Santa Fe, why she wanted to jump in in this unique circumstances, what she'll be looking to run on when she faces for her first election next year. So she sat down here in studio with senior producer Matt Grubbs, and here is your introduction to, Dick, to Kay Bunka.
1: Bernalillo County commissioners made their second legislative appointment of the summer this week, naming community organizer Kay Bunka as the replacement for Cheryl Williams Stapleton, who resigned in the face of an investigation into financial improprieties involving her job with Albuquerque Public Schools. Now, as best as anyone can recall, Ms. Bunka is the first Asian American woman in the legislature. She says representation is important for New Mexico communities, as she
2: discussed with senior producer Matt Grubbs. New representative K. Bunka, thanks so much for joining us. When we spoke um, just a couple minutes ago, you said that this all happened very quickly. I know there were people talking to you. Were you able to talk to other people to figure out if the issues you're interested in are the inter- are the issues that they're interested in?
3: I've worked in House District 19 for my entire career. I was born in the place. I came back to grow my family there and having done work, that was granted in community, specifically specifically in the International District in broader Southeast Albuquerque. I feel like I have known those issues for a while now. We've worked on them. I'm still connected with many of the organizations doing organizing work there. So when I think about how the issues are impact the communities in that place, I feel like there is already that strong connection, and right we can always learn more, and we can um, definitely continue to show up to better understand the nuances of what 's happening in in the day to day as well so
2: you said that you 're in the process of um, deciding and, and finding out what what committees you 'll be a part of, so that 's in the works. Yes. I think right now, when people um, hear of Albuquerque, they think so much of crime. Um, there is a trend that is concerning. Um, you've spoken before uh, of mental health as a possible solution um, or part of one. Um, how does that fit into what we're seeing right now? What's your ideal in terms of services and systems?
3: Sure, I think when we think about violence that's happening in our communities, we need to think about some of the structures that play into that. And I do think there are times when we need to rethink about where we're allocating our resources and making sure that we're not committing to solutions that have historically over-policed black, indigenous, Asian Pacific Islander, Latinx, other communities of color, LGBTQ plus community. How do we make sure we're really thinking about creative community-led and community-based and designed solutions that get to the place where we are all safe that we all feel a sense of community and belongingness and that we've got some real say into our community. So for us to really think about what are the other solutions, it is that investment in mental health, it is that investment in culturally tailored services that the community in this area does so well. It is also thinking about what our policies THAT CAN GET TO THE ROOT CAUSES OF ISSUES, SUCH AS UNIVERSAL BASIC INCOME. HOW CAN WE REALLY GIVE PEOPLE THE SUPPORT SYSTEMS THAT THEY NEED SO THAT THEY CAN REALLY THRIVE IN OUR COMMUNITY? SO I THINK TO TAKE A HOLISTIC APPROACH, TOO, IS SO IMPORTANT WHEN WE LOOK AT BIG ISSUES LIKE VIOLENCE.
2: Um, AND YOU WOULD SEE THOSE SERVICES COME ALONGSIDE SOMETHING LIKE WHAT THE GOVERNOR AND THE SPEAKER HAVE TALKED ABOUT, WHICH IS THE THOUSAND um, NEW OFFICERS uh, who are trained in community oriented policing. You see those two things coming side by side?
3: I think there is a place for policing and I do think the more input we have from communities who live in this place, and I also want to recognize our unhoused neighbors, the closer we're going to get to a solution that works for everybody. So for us to be able to have that input and to say where we need the support, I think that again will, will be the key to, to making it work.
2: Um, we could spend the entire interview on this, of course. Uh, but when you say over-policing, are you talking about um, more police being in a part of town that has a certain segment of the population resulting yes. in more crimes, resulting in more police, kind of that feedback loop?
3: I think so. It's how do you disrupt that cycle And the International District in Southeast Albuquerque already has so many police. Um, I don't know if bringing more into it uh, is the exact solution. I think it's part of it, but we again need to think about what is that comprehensive um, approach that we can take as community, as state, as also city leaders and county leaders and think about what really makes the most sense for this place.
2: You enter um, the legislature at a time when we're doing redistricting, which is a very important um, role uh, yeah. that is oftentimes, I think, maybe overlooked just because it can be incredibly boring, too. You're looking at a lot of maps and things like that. But it really counts for representation. Um, how do you feel about the, the new system where there's a community-based advisory group um, that will give the, the legislature its recommendations? What do you feel about that?
3: I was on the governor's complete count committee when we were going through census 2020 and making sure everybody was counted in our state because we know that leads to resources for New Mexico for the next 10 years. Um, so I very much believe in how do you get to that representation, how do you do it accurately, and how do you make sure that you're um, doing the outreach that's necessary. I think the committee that is set up is a great, app- great step in the right direction. I know a lot of community organizers fought to have that established so that there was some sense of input from community that would be directly wrapped into the maps that are created through redistricting. I think too, through the process, there's not like a, a huge swath of representation even on that committee, even thinking about Southern New Mexico, is there a voice from there? Um, some of that is lacking. So. I think, again, it's a step in the right direction, and there are also many ways to improve it. So I think with not having full representation on that committee to make sure, again, how are community voices being inserted into the conversation so that it truly is um, the ability for communities to be a part of mapping out their communities, um, the places that they live, and that they feel like they can get the representation that they need.
2: Would you prefer the um, independent commission's recommendations to be binding or, or at least more um, incumbent upon the legislature to really prove that those aren't good plans?
3: I think if they set up this commission with the idea that those considerations would be taken very seriously, I think that next step is making sure we get the right people on that commission and then to say, and how can we make this more binding so that um, the recommendations coming from there are really taking into consideration community and that gets implemented into the mapping.
2: Okay. If they were to recommend a, a boundary for House District 19 that didn't include your home, Would you support it?
3: I think the most important thing is that the communities of interest stay together. I think secondary for me personally, is the political piece. Um, I think representation matters. I think at the end of the day, this is is people's lives, this is their home, and we need to first and foremost have the identity, have the community stay whole um, so that they get the representation that they need. I think where representatives live is a part of that equation. People appoint or elect, you know, people that they care about, so that is definitely part of the formula. But, you know, number one priority's gotta be keep the committees together.
2: You talked about representation. As far as anyone can remember, you'll be the, uh, the first Asian-American woman to yeah. be in the legislature. Yeah. Um, why is that important? What does that mean?
3: New Mexico has always been a multicultural, multilingual state. I think there is this myth that we've got three cultures, really, right? The tricultural myth we talk about and some people embrace. That's never existed. It doesn't help anybody to identify in that way for New Mexico. We really need to have a representative body that reflects the population of the state. For there not to be an Asian American voice in the state legislature at this moment, that was one of the driving reasons that made me say, it's time. And if I want to have a state where my daughter and all New Mexico's children feel like they can see themselves reflected in leadership, then I have to also figure out how can I be a part of that narrative change.
2: Um, how do you do that and also reach out to the black community um, that lost a representative in Representative William Stapleton?
3: I think it can be a both and conversation, right? Representation for all communities is so critically important. So how do we make sure there is space for all of that and know to that there is zero Asian representation in the state legislature. So I think it's so critically important that we have um, all of our communities in that space with the lived experiences that could really evolve the kinds of policies that are being championed at the state level. And we, we need to make more room for that and we need to figure out how to do that together.
2: Representative Kay Bunka, get used to that title and we look forward to talking
0: to you again. <laughs> Thank you. Next up on the show, we introduce you to a unique renewable energy project in New Mexico. This has been a long time in the making. And uh, unlike a lot of renewable energy product, projects, has to do with transmission issues. Uh, this isn't about a solar farm or a wind farm. This is about getting those renewable energy uh, across the state, across the country. And it's called SunZia. It's a roughly $4 billion project. As we said, it's been years in the making, will take years to complete, Uh, and uh, it's a challenge. It's uh, the huge voltage lines that would cut through the state, and as you will hear uh, from John Ryan, who is the executive director of Sunzia, there are actually two lines, one of which would take that renewable energy to California and Arizona, and the other one would allow for some of that here in New Mexico as well. There have been lots of uh, comments and public hearings with the BLM about how exactly to run these lines and do it in an environmentally responsible way. We're talking about in and around Socorro County, so uh, high traffic areas for some of New Mexico's favorite uh, wildlife. We're talking about the sandhill cranes. Uh, as well as other migratory birds. And so because of that, there are people who are also very concerned about the impacts of that. So we're going to bring you both sides of that equation here and let you know that uh, public comment is opened up again about this project. So take a listen to the interview, do some research. We'll got links in the description. And now's the chance to make your voice heard on this project as well. But here is our land correspondent, our environmental correspondent, Laura Paskus, with a rundown on SunZia.
4: John Ryan, thank you so much for joining me today to talk about energy transmission and the SunZia line. Electrical transmission is something that affects all of us, and yet I feel like most of us, we don't talk about it very much, and a lot of us don't really understand it. So, can we start off, can you kind of lay out the purpose and the need for this proposed transmission
5: line?
6: I'd be happy to, Laura. Um, Thanks for having me. Uh, The Sunsia Transmission Project, uh, we've been working on for a long time. Um, Electricity transmission lines take a long time. Uh, SUNZIA IS is ONE OF THOSE LINES THAT'S A RENEWABLE TRANSMISSION LINE. SO uh, WE ARE BUILDING IT TO GET TO THE WIND ENERGY IN CENTRAL NEW MEXICO. Uh, GETTING TO THAT that POINT TO WHERE the WIND ENERGY CAN uh, can GET ON THE TRANSMISSION LINE AND WE WOULD TRANSFER IT INTO ARIZONA. AND ONCE WE GET INTO ARIZONA, uh, THE POWER COULD BE SOLD TO THE ARIZONA UTILITIES or California utilities, whatever the case may be. It's really exciting. It's, uh, uh, it's been a long haul. Um, we have a new um, ideas about um, alternative routes, and, and we'd, I'd love to get into some of that detail, but, but really it's, um, uh, it's a transformational project for New Mexico. Uh, it will bring a great deal of economic benefits uh, to the state, to a lot of the rural communities that we deal with, to a lot of the landowners, Uh, And we're trying to do it in an environmentally sensitive way.
4: So in terms of the electricity that New Mexicans will use, does this mean there will be more renewable energy in the mix for New Mexicans, or does it go to other markets?
6: Uh, It could be both. Um, We're we're doing two lines, like I said. Uh, One of the first lines will be a DC line, whereby we're transporting a lot of the wind energy uh, into Arizona, and therefore into the western markets. Um, the second line will be an AC line that that will that will include substations uh, in Luna County one in Torrance County and that that allows for interconnections into the uh, New Mexico grid um, all in all um, the the expansion of transmission uh, is, is really valuable not only to uh, tr- uh, w- whether we're transporting out of state or within state um, the the electricity is becoming more of a um, uh, a, an area where we need to um, get paths in, into communities. Um, um, so a, a, a different path um, would, would allow for improved reliability for the, the region uh, as a whole. And so uh, a lot of that is, what, is what, we're, what we're after, what we're trying to do, uh, what we think is valuable about Senzia.
4: We know the climate is changing. We know that's because of our expenditures of fossil fuels. And renewable energy is a really important part of the conversation locally and globally. How do you balance though, that these sorts of industrial projects do have all sorts of local environmental impacts? Like how does how do we balance those two things that we need to be thinking about?
6: Um, uh, we have to do it. We, we have to balance those. Um, and and we, we work really hard at doing that. We. Uh, we, we know, uh, that there's a lot of focus on, on, uh, low carbon, um, uh, generation. And, and so we're, we're, we're trying to facilitate that. We're trying to, um, to address the climate crisis. We, 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 we understand and We recognize the importance of renewable energy and clean energy, but you're right. Um, we we've gotta, we've gotta convince local communities, local elected officials, stakeholders, environmental groups, um, that not only, uh, are these projects important? Uh, but we have to do them in an environmentally sensitive way, and, and there's lots of things that we are doing uh, that that I hope um, turns into a, a, a model for how other projects should should proceed. Um, reaching out to stakeholders, like I mentioned, is is really important. We we for the last couple of years have have visited with national environmental groups, the local environmental groups, some of the uh, landowners that that. Um, don't like transmission lines in their area um, and and, it, and and we have to um, figure out ways to uh, to uh, improve the environment when we're done um, there, there's things that we can do to uh, preserve the tourism uh, the the beauty of New Mexico uh, the bosky where we cross the river those are all really sensitive areas that that we are um, focused on um, and 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 are doing a lot of things to uh, uh, to make uh, um, it, it a a, a much uh, more environmentally sensitive project that that cares about how we cross the river, where we cross the river. Can we put in technology on the transmission lines that uh, will help uh, the sandhill cranes or other migratory birds avoid the lines? Um, can we corradize? Um, our our transmission line. That means, can we follow other transmission lines so that we're not, um, you know, uh, going in pristine area that that is untouched. Um, uh, Can we co-locate our lines on other people's lines? Um, All those things are are what we try to do. Uh, We also um, are talking to local groups about important things relative to the Bosque. Um, uh, Yes, we're gonna we're gonna impact the Bosque. We're gonna be crossing the middle Rio Grande Valley. Um, it's uh, uh, it's inevitable that, that we do that. That's the only way to get to the wind. Um, but we can look at uh, purchasing conservation properties, water rights. Um, we can look at um, um, you know developing the bosque and and, and creating uh, opportunities for some of the local um, environmental groups, nonprofit groups, uh, to um, to improve uh, the bosque.
4: Don Ryan, thank you for joining me. I appreciate it.
6: Oh, thank you so much.
4: Sandra Noll, thank you for joining me today. Welcome to New Mexico in Focus.
7: Thank you so much for the opportunity.
4: You live in Socorro County, and you have some concerns about that. What are you worried about?
7: Well, this has been in process for quite some time. And it's not just two lines, but these are two parallel high voltage uh, um, line sets. And so we're concerned about a number of things. This is the second time it's being considered an environmental impact uh, by the Bureau of Land Management. And um, so there's some new crossings that are being considered. One of them will impact Sevilleta National Wildlife Refuge. So that's a, a great concern. The second concern is that the middle Rio Grande Valley um, is part of the central flyway from Alaska and Canada down to South America. And we have more than 400 bird species that use that flyway. So, two sets of high voltage, multiple line crossings of that river, of our Rio Grande, will be um, of great impact. And then the third major thing that we're concerned about is really the impact economically on ecotourism, particularly on counties like Socorro that count, um, can count a lot on that. You mentioned
4: migratory birds. What kinds of species are we talking about and, and why is the Rio Grande
7: important to these particular species? Okay. There's more than 400 species that uh, migrate along or utilize uh, this river corridor for habitat and just historically it has been a part of the east-west, the mid-continent flyway for thousands and thousands of years. The bird people often think about in this area is the Sandhill Crane. um, It winters at Bosque del Apache and it's iconic to this part of New Mexico. We all tell our seasons by when this bird comes and goes. Um, But the large birds like the sandhill crane and waterfowl are not so maneuverable. Many of them roost on the river. These birds don't roost in trees. And so we're concerned about their coming and going to roost in the river. Um, The songbirds mostly migrate at night. So again, wires that haven't been there, and they've been doing this for generations and generations of bird, they will be impacted as well. Can you talk a little
4: bit about the challenges that rural New Mexicans face when there are projects like this in terms of having your voice heard, being a part of the process,
7: Mm -hmm. um, making it through the process? Mm -hmm. Um, We often talk about it as a matter of social or environmental justice. A lot of times big projects like this actually say they're looking for the path of least resistance. And that happens to be often rural uh, areas and individual farmers and ranchers that don't have the big voice or clout of other areas. So that is something that people are really concerned about. Um, I think studies have shown that property values drop about 15 to 20% when uh, they're impacted by um, this kind of construction. Um, Some people have health concerns that's still an issue with some of these high-voltage lines. Um, And then the potential to decrease tourism is a big part of that. And the burgeoning film industry is just beginning to use areas like ours more and more. Um, So I think those are some of the things. Uh, We're not saying don't generate. We're not saying don't transmit. Just do it as smart as possible, considering people and wildlife.
4: Well, Sam and all, thank you so much for joining me.
7: Uh, Appreciate the opportunity to bring this to your viewers. Yeah, thank you.
0: And we had a lot more to this interview we just didn't have time for in the show. Again, lots to consider in a project like this. It would be really unique and one of the first really in the country. And so we want to bring you some more of that conversation Uh, here, because again, we don't always have time in the show for everything that we'd like to bring you, and it's a good time to point out that we try to do uh, a lot more throughout the week uh, for you as well, which you can keep up on if you follow us on any of our social media channels, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, uh, also Twitter, you can find us any of those places, keep up with us throughout the week, let us know what you're seeing and hearing as well, we really love that, but here now, a little more on Sun Zia.
4: What is your group hoping could happen or might happen with
7: this project? Okay, first of all, we do think that it should never set a precedent for going through a national wildlife refuge or impacting a national wildlife refuge. Secondly, um, we think overall we'd like to see it use existing corridors. From the wind farms in Lincoln County around Corona, it could either go, the lines, in our opinion, could go north or south and meet with corridors that are already going east and west. Um, If it must cross the Rio Grande, then we think that undergrounding should be a very serious consideration, both because of degraded landscape for things like the Rio Grande Trail and maybe our movie industry, and also particularly for the birds. So that's a part of it. And then we think the real economic costs. Uh, We don't think rural New Mexico should have to subsidize this big business. I don't know that New Mexico's getting a lot of economic benefit from this. It's going out of state, but we certainly shouldn't have damage from it or hurt to our own economy.
4: So this particular transmission line, um, the planners describe it as um, moving primarily renewable energy and we know that climate change is a big problem we know that our reliance on fossil fuels is an issue we see the Rio Grande drying, and know that that's tied to human-caused climate mm-hmm. change how do we balance this sort of renewable project and and sort of these global movements with impacts on wildlife
7: with impacts on local communities now yeah, that's the question, right? Um, Certainly, I I agree with the people that say renewable energy is best local or regional. But we're not opposed to renewable energy. We're very pro-renewable energy. We just think it needs to be transmitted smartly. um, And that it should do the least harm, both environmentally and uh, to communities and individuals along the way. And I'm glad you mentioned about the climate and the drying. Uh, We do sometimes have a dry Rio Grande River. That's another point for undergrounding. It's a pretty foolproof method of avoiding fires. And in California, we've seen that the general amount of clearing for the footprint of these kinds of towers and wires has not prevented fires
4: we have talked to people who have concerns about migratory birds about impacts to the bosque and i'm sure you've heard these concerns and seen these concerns um what do you how do you respond to that specifically
6: well first of all we we, we've been meeting with um the local groups uh and, and national groups for for over a couple of years and and we, we want to continue that. That's really valuable. They they have given us lots of ideas about what what they would like to see in their bosque and and, and where they would like to see Sunzia um, um, move to uh, and, or, and or under what conditions. And so uh, we take that really seriously. And we, we appreciate that uh, opportunity to learn from them uh, about what, what their thoughts are. We, we care. Um, and, and then um, you know they'll submit their comments to not only to us; um, that, uh, they're also submitting their comments to the BLM, and the BLM will will have some response. We'll have some work to do to um, uh, describe how we're going to go about it, and um, and then hopefully at the end of the day, uh, we come up with a with a route that um, is supported by the local community, um, and that we. Uh, um, we know we'll have to work at. We'll have to, uh, you know, be watching the technology, uh, the bird diverter technology. Uh, we'll we'll have to be watching uh, lots of lots of things that will help us mitigate some of uh, some of the impacts that are naturally come with a with a transmission line. Um, and uh, um, and we think it's uh, uh, valuable to uh, um, to get uh, a lot of these renewable projects uh, in service. Operating and uh, um, and benefiting the communities that they're in, the region, the country. I I think we are uh, we are in a, a very good position to uh, to lead in this area.
0: And we round out this week's show with uh, more extra content for you. Again, we love to bring that to you. Wish we had more time each and every Friday night, but we love that we have outlets like this to bring you extra content. We're going to bring you our weekly warm-up that we do with our line opinion panelists. If you missed any of our line conversations last week, check out the last episode of the podcast. You'll find all of those there. We talked about the pushback over the governor's uh, vaccine mandates in the wave of Delta variant cases in New Mexico. We also talked about the state's response to Afghan refugees fleeing the Taliban, uh, currently as well as a new push to try to deal with pedestrian safety as New Mexico ranked for the fourth straight year number one for the amount of pedestrian deaths. So all important topics, encourage you to go back and listen to that. But each and every week when we do our taping, we ask all the line panelists to bring something to talk about that we just don't have time for in the show. We call it One More Thing and want to share that with you here. So here's host Gene Grant.
2: Hmm. I'M GENE GRANT
1: HERE IN THE STUDIOS OF NEW MEXICO PBS WITH OUR LINE of OPINION PANELISTS JOINING ME RIGHT THERE ON ZOOM. <laughs> WE'RE ABOUT TO RECORD THIS WEEK'S SHOW, BUT BEFORE WE DO, WE ALWAYS LOVE TO WARM UP BY TAKING A TURN at OTHER ISSUES THAT ARE ON OUR minds. LET ME START WITH Dee, Dee FELDMAN, FORMER STATE SENATOR HERE IN NEW MEXICO. YOU SEE A LOT OF THINGS OUT THERE, SENATOR. WHAT'S ON YOUR MIND THIS WEEK?
5: WELL, I KIND OF LIKE TO USE MY TIME TO GIVE A SHOUT OUT TO THINK NEW MEXICO. Um, THEIR EXECUTIVE DIRECTOR WAS FEATURED IN Uh, THE BUSINESS OUTLOOK, THE ALBUQUERQUE JOURNAL'S BUSINESS OUTLOOK Mm -hmm. THIS WEEK, AND um, IT'S FRED NATHAN, AND I'VE KNOWN HIM FOR A LONG TIME, AND HE HAS NOW, uh, OVER SEVERAL DECADES, ESTABLISHED A GREAT THINK TANK uh, THAT IS VERY RARELY uh, BIPARTISAN Mm -hmm. IN NATURE, Mm -hmm. AND HAS REALLY ACCOMPLISHED A LOT. You know, I knew uh, Freddie since he was with the Attorney General Tom Udall oh, wow. back in oh, wow. the late 1990s. Yeah. And he was very uh, instrumental in the tobacco settlement, uh, f- uh, which uh, gave New Mexico millions of dollars, uh, into mostly into the health department at that time. It's been raided. Right. But um, <laughs> at, the, at that time, mm-hmm. and uh, Fred was very instrumental in that and, and a lot of consumer protection things. And then... But uh, of course, Tom Udall went to Washington, uh, first as a Congressman, and Fred was faced with the, the decision, do I go with him? I mean, he was a chief deputy to Tom Udall. Oh, I didn't know that. Or, or oh. stay in New Mexico. And uh, he asked my advice and I said, you'd be crazy not to go with Tom Udall to Washington. And he said, no, I, I think I'm gonna stay here and start a nonprofit because we have so many problems here in New Mexico. We're wow. the last in so many areas. And so he, he, he went against my advice and thank goodness he did mm-hmm. because he established Think New Mexico mm-hmm. and uh, it has taken on some of the tough ones and it has a lot of notches in its belt and in, in terms of establishing full day kindergarten, yep. uh, being very instrumental in getting capital outlay Uh, to be more transparent. Uh, Also, supporting um, individual development accounts, which allow uh, private matches for um, uh, low-income people who can save a certain amount of money Mm -hmm. um, under certain conditions, and, um, and many other kind of good government reforms. So I am happy that he got a little bit of recognition. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel that he's always looked like a concert pianist. Uh, <laughs> That's and a nice that compliment. A, a tux uh, at the legislature. <laughs> but um, so uh, congratulations to him uh, and uh, to all the work that Pink New Mexico has done.
1: That's actually quite well welcomed here at New Mexico PBS. We're big fans over here too. And uh, it's interesting, Didi, when you say this because Whenever something's from Think New Mexico arrives at our mailbox, it's one of the first things we read, honestly, because you just know you're going to get something solid, you know, they're always ahead of the curve, they're always firing the warning flares for us. You know, it's just, we'd be worse off without Think New Mexico, way worse off. No doubt about it. Thank you for those words. I appreciate that. I'm a fan as well. Dan Boyd, Capital Bureau Chief at the Albuquerque Journal. Always good to have you with us. What's your one more thing this week? Uh, on my mind, a lot has been um, schools and, and the return to in-person learning. Mm-hmm. Uh, like thousands of other New Mexicans, we have children who are too young to be vaccinated and have been dealing with kind of this um, mm-hmm. this deja vu a little bit of being back, especially among the uh, spike in case COVID cases and trying to navigate this system of, of having kids back in schools with masks. Um, you know, already there have been cases around the state. I think at least 20 schools have already gone back temporarily to mm-hmm. remote learning, so mm-hmm. It's tricky. I think everyone's trying their best, but, um, you know, no easy, no easy answers. And I, I think still more questions at this point, and um, it'll be interesting to see how, how state and local education officials handle all that. Agreed. Especially when we have interim education folks at the top. We don't have exactly uh, a lot of agreement out there <laughs> amongst all our school systems. So this could be a very tricky time for us. I appreciate you bringing that up for sure. Hey, there's an old friend. Michael Byrd is back with us. GOOD TO SEE YOU MICHAEL WELCOME BACK TO NEW MEXICO FIRST OF ALL MOST IMPORTANTLY uh, CALIFORNIA HAD YOU FOR A LITTLE BIT BUT THEY COULDN'T KEEP YOU FOREVER SO I'M GLAD YOU'RE (laughs) BACK HERE (laughs) WHAT'S YOUR ONE MORE THING THIS WEEK
6: I THINK MY ONE MORE THING WOULD BE A SHOUT OUT TO AMERICAN INDIAN ALASKA NATIVE AND TRIBAL LEADERSHIP BECAUSE CDC JUST RECOGNIZED LAST WEEK THAT NATIVE COMMUNITIES HAVE THE HIGHEST VACCINATION RATES AMONG ANY COMMUNITY IN THE COUNTRY And um, I think this demonstrates um, if if there's a community has reason to to be reluctant to engage in any kind of government program, I think it's native people and given their history. Mm -hmm. But the fact of the matter is that there are some real strong traditions and values about about taking care of your people, defending your people and ensure the continuity of of our nations and our Pueblos and, and tribes. And so I think there's a lot. There, there are lessons to be learned from Native people, and this is just one of many. Mm-hmm.
1: I appreciate that. That that means a lot, considering how this thing's been flowing back and forth for everybody. It's, it's good news to hear that. We'll have to wrap that up there. Thanks for joining us, New Mexico, IN Focus airs Friday nights and Sunday mornings right here in New Mexico PBS.
0: That's all the time we have for you this time, but we are hard at work already on this week's show with much more content to bring you. We hope you'll tune in again with the latest episode. Uh, And as always, reach out, let us know what you'd like us to cover on future episodes. Also, be sure to follow and subscribe if you haven't already want to thank the new mexico and focus team senior producer matt grubbs and producer kathy wimmer our environmental reporter is laura paskus who you heard this week as well as our um, host of course gene grant and our talented group of correspondents we work with on a regular basis appreciate all their hard work we'll be back with you again soon thanks for listening and as always stay safe and stay healthy